Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where cutting-edge, nationally recognized care is delivered through a compassionate approach. This podcast is for informational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. I recently had the privilege of being interviewed by Joel Proskowitz from the Spine Exchange. Joel is a colleague of Dr. Stuart McGill, and he has gone through himself numerous spine surgeries and came through the other side and has founded the Spine Exchange at thespineexchange.com, which is a platform to provide educational materials to people who have gone through back surgery or have back pain in general. And he reached out to me and I was really excited and we had a great interview and we talked a lot about different aspects of back care. And I'm going to present that to you for today's episode on the podcast and I hope you enjoy. And I'd encourage everyone to check out the Spine Exchange and uh, really consider becoming a subscriber. I think it's a great service and it will definitely benefit you on your own journey. Sanjeev Lakia, thank you very much for being here on Interview the Expert at the Spine Exchange. I'm very, very honored and very excited to speak with you this evening. So thanks for being here. Thank you for the invite. This is going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Sanjeev, just for our viewers, would you be able just to give an introduction of who you are, uh, what you do and where you work, please? Yeah, great. So I am currently a practicing physiatrist, uh, specialty in physical medicine and rehabilitation. I am a doctor of osteopathic medicine, a DO, and I graduated out of Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. And I currently work in a very large private practice neurosurgical group. And I'm one of the physiatrists here who helps with non-surgical care. And kind of my day-to-day work is I work up people with back pain, orthopedic conditions. Probably two-thirds of my practice is spinal-related, if not more, and try and guide patients down the non-surgical pathways and help them return uh, return back to function. Okay. And from a perspective of the term physiatrist, I've obviously been exposed to that term, but here in the UK and maybe uh, around the world outside of the United States, physiatrist is, is not a, a very common term. Would you be able to just expand upon that so that the viewer sort of uh, understands just a little bit more? Yeah, good question. There's some lack of familiarity even here in the U.S. with the term physiatrist, and depends on what part of the country, sometimes we're called physiatrist. We essentially combine orthopedics, neurology, spine care into a, it's like a hybrid specialty where we really focus on helping pain and restoring function. We're very functionally driven, looking at quality of life outcomes and restoring function. So historically, Uh, Physiatrists really came to prominence during the early world wars where veterans were coming back with catastrophic injuries, brain injuries, strokes, amputations. And even now in today's world, there's a lot of physiatrists at like Walter Reed Hospital and other military institutions helping uh, these individuals try and get their life back. It's kind of evolved over time in the United States into different pathways. There's There's hospital-based physiatry, which is really focused more on those individuals who have those catastrophic injuries and they need inpatient rehabilitation. 
And then there's the outpatient world where we deal with kind of bread and butter, day-to-day aches and pains, a lot of musculoskeletal medicine, orthopedic medicine. And it's, you know, it's really a, it's a great profession. I uh, get to help people try and get their life back on track. And as you and I both know, uh, a lot of people can improve their situation uh, without surgery. Certainly there are those who need them, you know, given your story. But that's in a nutshell, I, I like to tell people it's kind of a hybrid of neurology and orthopedics uh, with a focus on restoring function and reducing pain. That's fantastic. And I think it's very pertinent to many of the viewers here at the Spine Exchange because a lot of them have not had surgery and are looking for individuals that have a potential solution from a conservative uh, intervention, uh, possibly with the help of some element of medicine behind that, whether it be in pharmaceuticals or something to that degree, just to help reduce pain. But staying with the topic of being a physiatrist, how come that's the path you chose, Sanjeev, and and more specifically, the spine? I'm I'm interested about your, your passion about the spine. As a DO, and it's interesting, DOs, doctor of osteopathic medicine, they have different licensure capabilities across the world. You know, in the United States, DOs are fully licensed to practice medicine and surgery, so we have full prescriptive rights. Uh, but in osteopathic medical school, I received about 300 hours of training in hands-on osteopathic manipulation, somewhat similar to chiropractic techniques, but somewhat different. But I always mm-hmm. found a love for anatomy. Uh, that was probably my favorite uh, course in medical school. And I really marvel at how the human body has been designed. It's just perfect in its own way. Right. So that naturally led towards, um, I really enjoyed early in my career doing osteopathic manipulation. And of course, you're doing a lot of care of the spine. And then I felt like becoming a physiatrist was next level where I really got to dive deep into that. And I just, I really believe that, you know, spine care, having a healthy functioning spine is critical to having a healthy functioning life. And there's such a disease burden in this country and across the world that I think we need more practitioners who understand the science behind how to have a healthy spine and how to treat dysfunction. Uh, My brother, two years older than me, is an osteopath. uh, So he kind of got me directed along the path of osteopathic medicine. And then I met some mentors during uh, medical school that really opened my eyes to this whole field of uh, physical medicine and rehab or physiatry. It's fantastic. And, uh, you know, you said something now that sort of just struck a chord within me, talking about the, the burden of, of, of spine problems and pathologies. Are you getting to see patient that is younger these days? Are you getting to see people who potentially are outliving their spine on the other side of the spectrum? So, you know, who do you get to see? Who are your, are your patients? The answer to that is yes. Okay. It's across all spectrums. I would say the general trend, and we might touch on this a little bit later in terms of difficult cases, but the general trend is people are living longer, more medical advances, cardiovascular care, uh, cancer care, but their body parts are still aging. So we are seeing a huge influx of individuals in their 70s, 80s, 90s who are healthy, but they're kind of breaking down orthopedically and from a spine perspective. And then the flip side of the coin, particularly I think since COVID, I've seen a lot more people 
younger generation with back problems. I have my theories. I think there was a lot of movement towards work from home and doing what you and I are doing right now, sitting and staring at a computer. And I think it's set people up to have dysfunctional posture, weak muscles and increased episodes of back injuries. You know, it's funny you say that, Sanjeev, and there's so many people out there, therapists of many different persuasions that are saying that, you know, posture is not important or it doesn't matter or having a a kid slouch for hours over a phone doesn't have any correlation with any type of neck pain. And, you know, I'm not a believer in that. Generally, if I look back, we were kids and playing outside and being far more physical. Yes, we would stare down and look at our workbooks, but not to the same degree that the kids are today, the duration and time that they are spending sitting and looking at all technology and and doing less movement. There has to be a downside, a negative to that. I think one of the key areas to consider when you're talking about what our modern lifestyle has done to our health is just to ask the question, what is the effect of your current activity on your diaphragm's ability to expand correctly? The diaphragm is so key in terms of the ability to take deep inhalations. It's like a piston. It pushes blood everywhere. It moves the lymph. And you cannot have good diaphragmatic movement with poor posture. And as you know, I, I run a podcast. And one of the great things I've been able to do uh, is interview people who are much smarter than me. Stuart McGill, awesome. I got into learn more about foundation training. I've been able to interview Esther Gokhale, who's authored um, the Gokhale Method. And every single one of these thought experts really, really emphasizes restoring diaphragmatic movement and its correlation with proper posture as a key to health and reduce pain. I, I just think if someone doesn't believe that there's an influence or connection between posture, function, and pain, they're just not looking in the proper places. And I agree on every level there. And quite interestingly, if I may use myself as as an example, Uh, you know, and and most of the viewers know that I've had a a significant amount of spine surgeries to repair a fracture in my spine. Uh And the interesting thing is, post the surgery, once the spine had actually been realigned and and rectified, and you know, the, the, the natural curvature of the spine restored, it's made a huge positive impact on my overall health and well-being the way that I stand the way that my muscles function it literally was a day and night situation so how I was functioning prior to the surgery forget about the pain and dysfunction but just generally from a a performance perspective in the gym and, and just in daily life to what is happening now is completely different and I owe that specifically to the restoration of the alignment of my spine. Yeah, exactly. You know, the extreme end of this question are those patients who have pronounced spinal deformities, scoliosis, kyphosis. When those curvatures get to a certain point, what happens? It affects their visceral organs. They cannot breathe properly. The digestion gets impaired. And Oftentimes when that happens is when a complex spine surgeon will get involved. But, you know, in my opinion, you don't have to have a 40 degree curvature in your spine for there to be correlations between your posture and your organ function and your overall physiology. So, yeah, no, I think it's worth discussing and looking at and something that I, I talk about with my patients um, as part of a kind of a global discussion. 
Fantastic points. Sanjeev, you've spoken in, in on your public forums and in your, your podcasts about integrative medicine. Yes. Could you expand on that a little bit and, and just explain to us from your perspective, what does that mean for a patient? Integrative medicine is a form of medicine that really honors a lot of the evidence-based treatments that exist outside of mainstream medicine and across different cultures. And it looks at combining the best of modern medicine with Eastern and ancient medicine. And we look at it, look at patients from a more holistic lens. We're not just focusing on someone's spine per se, but we're looking at how is their diet influencing their health? What about their stress? How about their relationships, their spiritual connection, their movement patterns? Because we know when you look at someone from that lens, number one, there's more level uh, levers that you can pull to influence positively someone's health. But we know the outcomes are better. They're more complete. And I, I grew up in a family, you know, my parents uh, immigrated from India. Uh, so right. culturally, uh, they adopted a lot of Ayurvedic medicine practices. And we talked a lot about meditation and its benefits. And I think what's happened now, you know, years ago, my colleagues in the doctor's lounge would say, you know, vitamins are expensive urine, right? But now there's so much literature in PubMed supporting some very basic things that kind of our grandmothers have known all along that are helpful for our health. So you don't have to go very far. You could simply put in acupuncture and back pain in PubMed and you're going to get a explosive amount of research articles supporting its use. If you just type in meditation and chronic pain, I mean, you can, you'll be up all night reading uh, randomized controlled trials demonstrating the effectiveness of that intervention. So I think it's, you know, what I've observed in my career is patients are moving away from a pill for every ill and they want to be able to take more control of their health and use natural interventions. And it no longer has to be about snake oil. I mean, there are so many research-based interventions now. And I learned about this during my two-year fellowship. As you know, I did a two-year integrative medicine fellowship through Andrew Wiles program in Arizona. And then I, I'm double board certified now in physiatry and integrative medicine. So for me, at some point, I'm hopeful, and we've talked about this in my fellowship, that integrative medicine will kind of go away and it just becomes good medicine. Like doctors just practice good medicine where they consider the whole person. Exactly. On that note, how do your uh, colleagues, your surgical colleagues, your medical colleagues, how do they look at it now, especially you practicing in a very top-end neurosurgical and spinal practice? Yeah, you know, I am blessed. I'm in a really amazing practice. The neurosurgeons here are best in the world. The physiatrists, uh, many of them I've known for a long time. And, you know, my approach to taking care of patients really fits our model and it's well-respected. I still offer standard medical interventions. Um, I do an, a number of spinal injections for patients. Uh, I practice and do a lot of EMGs. I prescribe a lot of drugs, but I always sprinkle in something a little extra. And sometimes that can just be, I take another minute or two and ask my patient about their stress level. And it's amazing what you can hear and learn when you just listen. And then I might prescribe a breathing exercise, demonstrate it. You know, we talk a lot about the four, seven, eight breath in our fellowship. It's a technique that uses ratios of inhalation and exhalation to really calm you down. 
it doesn't take long to do that with a patient, you know, four seconds plus seven seconds plus eight seconds, you know, it's 19 seconds. So it doesn't really put me behind in the clinic and it adds a lot mm-hmm. of value to the interaction and the, and the tips are helpful. A lot of times we'll talk about research-based supplementation or if there's any herbs that could be tried. So it works well. I've been very well received. I do a lot of acupuncture. And, you know, the thing of it is, Joel, is that back pain, particularly in the U.S. and chronic pain in general, we are still lacking in good, effective interventions in many cases, particularly with the opioid epidemic and all the problems that's happened with that. We are really looking for alternative treatments that have evidence behind it. And I think uh, right now it's kind of a renaissance in the space of spine care and medicine in general. And I'm really happy to be a part of that. Sanjeev, that's a wonderful thought process and sentiment to have because I agree with you. I think a lot of people don't look at the person as a whole and they need to understand that the owner of the spine has emotions. They have certain stressors that can systemically create a whole bunch of problems And you really need to understand the individual who's sitting in front of you. So it's it's wonderful to hear that uh, what you're doing is taking that that holistic approach. I think it's uh, I think it's definitely the the route to go for the future. That's absolutely true. In fact, I almost feel like everyone who comes in with back pain has a background story and they want to be heard about it. There's something going on in their life and you could and oftentimes look. I still do it because very, very busy, don't have time to deep dive every time. You could just focus on the MRI, do the shot, order the PT, get them on their way. But if you have the opportunity to find out what was going on in their life just before then, you'd be really surprised about some of the stress that people are living under. And if you can help them heal that part of the equation, the totality of the healing of the back injury is much better. That's just my experience. And I think that's something I strive for. I don't always hit that mark. Um, You do have to build rapport with patients, but there's always a story to tell. And it's much more than I just bent over and tied my shoe and my back got hurt. There's always something else that kind of led up to that. Sometimes you get to it, sometimes you don't. So with that in mind, Sanjeev, could, could you take us through a patient's journey? So someone books in to come and see you. How does it evolve? What do you, how do you start off? How do you get to know the individual whom you're about to work with? Wow. Uh, that approach has evolved over time. I get better and better at it. You know, we work in these 15-minute intervals in medicine, which are kind of insane. Sure. One of the things I like to do when I, when I walk into a room and I meet someone for the first time is I don't initially like to jump into their chief complaint. I might do something like look at their intake and ask them about their work. I see you're an engineer. I got an engineer degree too. It opens the door. How did you hear about our practice? What are some of the things you enjoy to do when you're healthy? So open-ended questions are key. I think it, you have to establish some rapport with someone before you're going to recommend treatment, or at least I feel that way. So once I've established a bit of a connection, I like to really try and have the patient tell their story. So I'll often say to someone, you know, I looked at your intake form. I read the referring provider's notes, but I really want to hear it in your words. They always tell me something that wasn't on the paper or wasn't what the nurse told me. Oftentimes, the reason they're here is not even, you know, they won't honestly share that until the physician is in the room. So the history gathering is key. Most of the time after I listen to the history, I almost always know what's 
what's wrong. I mean, the imaging just confirms things if we do that. And then I always want to know kind of what would success look like for you? And then the obvious answer is, well, get me out of pain. And then I push them a little further because I want to know their why. If I know their why, I can help them really gear their lifestyle towards that goal. So for example, if someone comes in with an acute back pain and it's going down their leg, I want to understand where are they in their life right now? Because I'm probably going to address them differently depending on their circumstance. So for example, I mean, if they're a professional athlete and uh, they've got extensive pressure, we're going to put our foot on the gas to try and knock out this pain ASAP. And we might do some things a little more aggressively. If they're someone who's retired and they don't have a ton of professional obligations, then I'll definitely dive deep more into conservative care pathways and I'll, I'll get a sense for where they are. I always ask and I want to know, like, where are you with this? I'll say that a lot. Where are you with this? On a scale of one to 10, 10 being, I can't live another second like this. One meaning, eh, it's like a pebble in my shoe. It's a little annoying, but it's not that bad then I can really meet them where they are and get them going on the right pathway. You know, we do have treatment algorithms, right? There's evidence-based medicine. But the person in front of you is an N of one. They don't read our books. They don't care about our guidelines. So you have to meet people where they are and get them going. And then, of course, you know, traditionally, we'll use a lot of physical therapy. We have a wonderful physical therapy team in our practice. Many of them are trained with uh, Dr. McGill's methods, as you are. And that can be extremely helpful we might walk them down and do a spinal injection if it's an acute inflammatory issue. And then, of course, I always have tremendous neurosurgical colleagues I get a consult with if I need to. That's fantastic. And this all takes place at the uh, Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine. Absolutely. Yeah. We have, uh, so we're based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. The office I okay. work in is in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is just a few miles over the border between North and South Carolina. This is our home base. We love it. And from a perspective of what you do there, so will you do everything from surgical procedures or at least your surgical colleagues will? Yes. But surgical procedures to um, everything like facet joint injections or medial branch blocks and portable epidurals. So everything takes place at this particular practice. That's correct. You know, my personal skill set, I do a lot of lumbar transframinal injections, uh, epidural steroid injections for radiating leg pain or radiculopathy, medial branch blocks. And then we have a, a team of docs that do RFA. Again, that's a technique to help with spinal arthritis. Uh, we do a lot of sacroiliac joint injections. I also do a lot of orthopedic injections under ultrasound, hips, knees, shoulders. Many times their back pain actually was a hip issue. And then I have that integrative skill set. I do a lot of acupuncture, including battlefield acupuncture, which is a form of auricular or ear treatments for acute pain. Yes. PRP, uh, stem cell injections. These are regenerative techniques that are evolving and becoming more prominent. So uh, that's an offering through our practice. We offer a lot of different things and try and help people kind of get back on their feet. Sanjeev, I'm going to ask some technical questions now just to just to go off the beaten track just slightly. All right. People generally will will turn around and say steroid injections for the spine, like a, a nerve root block or a caudal epidural. Are they not just ways of masking pain? I have an opinion. Um, I've got, I work with surgical colleagues. I'm in a very, very similar situation to you. But I'd love to to know your viewpoint if a patient presents with a question like that to say, are you not just masking my pain? Are you not giving me the ability to just go off and actually create more damage in my spine? How would you respond to something like that? 
I get that every day. <laughs> I mean, it's a reasonable, Good. it's a reasonable question. And the answer yep. to that is it kind of is, but you have to understand what we're doing. For me, a, a epidural steroid shot has a couple different goals. What we're doing is we're delivering corticosteroid into an environment where there, we believe, is an acute inflammatory reaction. It's really the inflammatory reaction that's driving the individual's pain. Because as you and I both know, you can have a bulging disc, even a bulging disc causing stenosis or narrowing around a nerve root and have no pain. Absolutely. So the first thing I'm trying to do, and I'll tell people, is I'm using the injection as a tool to minimize or turn off that inflammatory switch and buy your body time to heal the root injury, okay? So the, the injection buys us time. It also allows us to rapidly restore function because that's a huge part of recovering from back injuries. Absolutely. Every day you hole up in bed, it's going to take one, two, three more days to recover the atrophy that's developing. So I tell people I have no plan for having you get an injection every three to four months the rest of your life. That's not our goal. We're going to use a few. We're going to look at this as a three to six month window of rehab, which an injection is a component. It'll liberate you to do the proper rehab to restore your function so that when the injections wear off, the pain is still quite minimal and you're able to move without fear. So it's just a tool. It's a part of the equation. If that's all you want to do, your results are going to be far less than if you do it as a part of a comprehensive program. Correct. Does that make sense? Exactly my, my narrative to my patients, right? Because it's part of the pack. It's the opportunity to allow you, as you say, to get moving, to be able to actually explore some element of rehabilitation with a little bit more intensity. Right. So it's nice to hear that uh, that is your thought process, because um, I think where people go wrong, and please correct me, they think a steroid injection is the cure-all for their back pain. And they then don't need to actually explore any further rehabilitation because they're hoping that this will just eradicate the pain forever, which it doesn't do. It doesn't do. No, you didn't get into the situation because you have a deficiency of steroid in your spine. And then by replacing it, it goes away. Right. It's an enabler for active rehab. Uh, it has to be viewed in that context. Otherwise, you're just going to be spinning your wheels with it and get frustrated. Exactly. And you said something earlier on the lines of injections and regenerative medicine. People now are really starting to ask the question about PRP and stem cells, specifically stem cells. And uh, again, we understand the use of, of stem cells within a knee or potentially in a shoulder. But when it comes to the spine, what's happening there? What's going on in that world? Is it progressing to something where it's a valid intervention or are we still very much in the early stages, uh, Sanjeev? Well, a full disclosure, I don't do intradiscal stem cells or I don't do stem cell injections of any type. I do offer PRP in my practice for orthopedic issues. I think the answer to your question though, in general is regenerative medicine field is still evolving in the world of spine care. The clinical trials that are out there are very small scale. I think it's promising, but from my perspective, I want to see a little bit more data to justify the cost uh, because there's a big disconnect between, to me at least, there's a disconnect between the level of evidence 
and the level of cost for the intervention. Right. And if you want to find a vulnerable patient, all you have to do is find someone whose back has been hurting them forever and they're not getting better. And that person will sign up for anything, anywhere, anytime. And I do see some of that going on across the country. And I'm hopeful that over time, more literature will evolve. And I, I do think it's a promising area. And I'm hopeful in the next five years or, or less, we're going to have more definitive answer to that question. Sure. Now, the thing for me that I'm trying to get my head around, and I'm explaining this to patients, is that the disc itself, is just naturally such a hostile environment. It doesn't like to be, the internals don't like to be exposed to any external elements. And we know that when that happens, you get a whole host of chemical changes within the disc, et cetera. So I'm trying to get my head around how the stem cell itself, intradiscally, right, or intradiscal, how can I? So I think that's critical education. I think getting in, a relationship with a knowledgeable bodywork expert, whether it's a physical therapist, a chiropractor, even good massage therapist, let them be your co-pilot through your journey on your life about maintaining a healthy spine. And then, you know, lastly, I think it's understand that even if you do everything right, your back can still hurt. It's common. And most of the time, not all the time, I mean, your situation obviously is quite dramatic and you went through an incredible journey. But most of the time, for most of us, it gets better. Sure. So, I mean, the, I don't know if that's, if I'm dropping any wisdom there. Some of that's common sense. But that's, yeah. how, you know, those are some words that I would share. Sanjay, that's exactly what I want to hear. Those are very wise words. You know, we don't have to complicate things and sort of pull the wool over people's eyes for them to think it's wisdom. It's actually the basics. It's the fundamentals that are done each and every day uh, that build up that foundation of optimal health, good movement. So those are very wise words. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. Sanjeev, we get viewers and members to the Spine Exchange from all over the world. So if someone wants to reach out and contact you, how do they get hold of you? What's the easiest way? Yeah, um, you know, a couple of different ways. There are contact forms through our group website, and that's at carolinaneurosurgery.com. Okay. And uh, it's easy to search under physicians and there'll be links there. I also have my own website at drlakia.com, D-R-L-A-K-H-I-A. And there's a form there to connect with me. And if you have an inquiry, I'm happy to take a look at it. So Fantastic. We're available. Good. And I'll put all those in, in our notes. Sanjeev, I could sit here for another two hours talking to you and I would probably request very kindly that uh, part two happens at a future date because I've got so much more to ask you and a lot more to expand upon. But uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your wisdom and sharing your experiences and your knowledge with uh, us here at the Spine Exchange and uh, we are greatly appreciative. Well, you're very welcome. And uh, thank you for your efforts and taking your life circumstance and using it to make the lives of other people better. So we need more of that in the world and I'm happy to be a part of it. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lakia and treatment options for back issues, 
go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Backtalk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.